0: podcasting, The Final Frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission, to rehash geeky topics, to seek out new bastions of nerdiness, to timidly go where the more talented have gone before. Greetings and welcome to the Hammer Podcast, the official podcast of TheHammerStrikes.com. I'm your host, Gene Hendricks, and there is a bit of a longer episode in store for you this time, so we'll just get some business out of the way real quick and then we'll get right into it. First order of business is we have a new iTunes review, and that comes from my good friend Mr. Rob Kelly of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Now, he's given me a five-star review with the title, Warm and Genial Nerd Discussions. He writes, Gene Hendricks is a warm and engaging host for this podcast full of random geeky discussions. The vibe is relaxed and engaged and highly recommended. And I would like to thank Rob for that for a number of reasons. Uh, obviously, it takes time to go onto iTunes, log in, leave the review, etc. So, thank you for that. And also, Rob is one half of the duo that is primarily responsible for me starting a podcast, so it feels extra special to get that feedback from him. I thank you again, Rob. I really appreciate it. Now on to some other business. The Hammer Podcast is now available on Stitcher Radio, so you have another avenue to download all these geeky goodness now, lastly, we have some website information, not Hammerstrikes.com, but related. Not only do we have some reworked Patreon stuff on the Patreon page, including at the highest donor level, I will be doing some special podcasts that will only be available for those donors. They will not be on the regular feed. They will be special to Patreon only. That will start uh, fairly soon, actually. I plan to do a number of them throughout the year. I can't give you an exact number because it kind of all depends on how things line up. Secondly, along the website lines, we now have a Cafe Press store, and that will be at cafepress.com slash thehammerstrikes. You'll be able to buy merchandise, t-shirts, hats, what have you, bags, etc., etc., with not only the logo of the website, but also the logo of the podcast. So head on over there and see what kind of stuff we got. And I've purchased things through Cafe Press before, so I can tell you they are very high-quality stuff. And all the proceeds, obviously after Cafe Press gets its cut, go to help out the website and the podcast. So I really appreciate anyone that buys anything over there. Now, as I said, we have a fairly longer-than-normal episode this time out, so we will take a quick break and get right into the discussion. See you on the other side.
1: We all remember seeing years ago those futuristic drawings
0: saying what the future is going to be. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. Gleaming buildings, fast monorails. This is the future. that was all started by a month. Twice the size of Manhattan. We want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream.
1: Walt Disney World, better than any other urban environment in America. Two True Freaks proudly presents... We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Job courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels... Earning My Ears. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for
0: everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now.
1: Earning My Ears, a Walt Disney World-centric podcast is available monthly at twotruefreaks.com. Welcome back.
0: And I got something special for you again this month. I know last month was a high point, but uh, we have another one because this is going to feature my very first ever returning guest. And that guest would be the other Scott, Mr. Scott Gardner. How are you, sir?
1: Ooh, I'm doing good. i I hold a special distinction on the show, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we got together and we talked about Star Trek The Motion Picture, and we're going to be talking about another passion that we both share, and that will be Disney.
1: Yes, indeed. And
0: and, uh, this was all brought on by a blog post that I did at thehammerstrikes.com, and why you would listen to the show and not go to the blog, I have no idea, but make sure you go there, and I'm just going to read the blog post because I don't write very long things. Uh, mainly because of my attention span and also the attention span of the people that go to the blog. But this was originally posted on May 12th, 2016, and is titled, Why I Like Disney. Quote, As a middle-aged man, you might think that I put kiddie things behind me. For the most part, you're right. I don't play with toys, and the ones that I have from my childhood are used by my daughter. I play video games infrequently at best. I read comic books, but now it tends to be either for nostalgia or research, as I haven't purchased a new comic in years. One thing that many people consider to be kiddy though, I don't, and that's Disney. Specifically Walt Disney and his vision. The vision that the future is still out there waiting to be discovered and that it is better than today. Yes, better than today. Not some post-apocalyptic wasteland where humans struggle to survive. Not a world overrun by zombies or alien invaders. No, a great big beautiful tomorrow where science and humanity has advanced to the point where we can actually do stuff that we only dreamed about a few years ago. This is still shown for the most part at the theme parks. Oh, I know they're expensive to travel to and all, but if you've never been to one, I'd say it's worth it. Yes, there are the Flavor of the Month tie-ins, Frozen, but that tends to be expected since it is a for-profit endeavor. If you look, though, you will see an ideal to strive towards. Take some time to visit the Carousel of Progress to see how far we've come. Visit Liberty Square and revive your sense of pride in America. Take a walk through Tomorrowland and see where we might get to. Heck, just take a look at Walt's presentation for his idea of Epcot that could have been. No, I mean, actually, watch the YouTube video. Don't skim it. This is what Disney means to me. Hope for the future, rooted in the planning of today. In a world that seems to be getting crazier every day, we need Walt Disney's vision now more than ever. Unquote. And I posted that on Facebook, as I always do, but I also cross-posted it to the Earning My Ears Facebook (laughs) group. And that is where I got a response from you, Scott. Uh... Let me ask you: Is it just my punchy prose style, or was there something else that caught your attention?
1: It was the sentiment behind it. Um, I, I'm sure we'll get more into this as we as we talk, but I, I share the sentiment. That you know, Disney is really cool in the fact that because it is such a a large thing that has now been around for. Ah, You know, pushing it's pushing 100 years at this point. You know, I mean, Disney, as an actual company entity, started in 1923. So I mean, we're we're fast coming up on 100 years, and in that time, it's meant a lot of things to a lot of different people, from the characters to the animated films to the live action films to the theme parks to interactive media, to all these different things that Disney is, that Disney's not any one thing. And so I'm always fascinated by what hooked people that are really into Disney because, generally speaking, I find that my hook is not a common one. So your post really struck a chord with me because that's my hook. Disney the futurist, Disney, the optimist, that was really the thing that caught me, because going to Walt Disney World as an adult for the first time, and and really, for all intents and purposes, really my first time, I went once when I was a child and really didn't remember it very well, so for all intents and purposes, my real, actual first trip, you know, I was an adult in my, let me think, I was in my 30s, early 30s at that point. And went expecting to be kind of just tolerant of the whole thing mm. because I expected just a big kitty amusement park and totally not what I got. What I got out of it was exactly what you said in, in your post you know, that this was that vision of the future that call me naive, whatever you want, but I still believe in that. A, a very Star Trek and a very, you know, Gene Roddenberry style positive vision of the future and i didn't know a lot about walt disney you know other than the fact of you know walt disney cartoon maker Mm -hmm. so i didn't realize that there was this whole other facet to him that was walt disney the optimistic futurist and that's the side of waltz and the side of disney that continues to fascinate and i completely agree with you man that that's one of the reasons i fell in love with the theme parks is because it's really the one place left in the world i can really think of where that not only does that positive spirit carry forward and you know it and we get that reassurance of you know a positive future and all that but it's really the only place i can think of where even the the big dreams of the future that we had say like at a Like the 1939-40 World's Fair, and then again at the 64-65 World's Fair, you know there were things like Futurama, that, and I'm not talking the TV show, but you know there there were at both of those fairs there was an exhibit called Futurama that projected essentially that quasi utopian great big beautiful tomorrow. Now Disney had nothing to do with Futurama, but you know it's kind of that whenever you think back, especially if you're of a certain age, whenever you think back to how the future was when you were a kid, mm. that's kind of that collective vision that we all have, you know, of, of big shining cities and, and broad highways and maybe motorized vehicles, maybe flying cars, you know, all that sort of thing. And it, it's that kind of vision. And that's, that was the hook for me because, um, uh, I, I, think, um, uh, David Brinkley said it best, there's a, a little clip from Brinkley, I actually use it in the intro for Earning My Ears, where he's talking about, remember uh, those visions are used to be of you know the city of tomorrow, I, I, it's, this is an exact quote, I can't quote it word for word, but it was something to the effect of, remember how the future used to look with gleaming buildings and fast sleek monorails and all that, he goes, well it never really happened except here. And he's standing in front of the Contemporary Resort at Walt Disney World. And, you know, I completely agree with that. It's the one place it actually happened. And that that's cool to me. Yeah, uh, that's... See, that's the thing I find is most people...
0: You say Disney, and they have one of, one of two pictures in their head. Mickey Mouse and the cartoon characters. hmm Or the theme parks. Right. But when they think the theme parks... And I was guilty of this, too. I mean, the first time... I went to Walt Disney World twice when I was a kid. Both times with my family. We drove down. Uh, I can't... I know we were there for the 15th anniversary because I remember the um, the mug that we my mom still has. We got down there. But we went twice when I was little. The next time I went was part of our senior class trip in high school, which is coincidentally also the first time I ever flew on an airplane. And... After that, I went once in college with my then-girlfriend, now wife. But that was part of a a trip that... It was a timeshare spiel that, you know, they brought us down there. And oh what? okay, well, we're not buying anything. Bye. And then we went and had fun. But every single... Except when I was a kid, it was, holy crap, this is amazing. (laughs) When I went in high school and when I went in college, it was, wow, I remember this. This is fun. But I didn't really get... More into it than that because it was it was such a short time. Then uh, two years ago, two, yeah, two years ago, two thousand fourteen is that's when I met you for the first time. We mm-hmm. went down and has that
1: been two years already?
0: Yeah, wow, <laughs> yeah. So we that's when we went down for Kira's first time because I am of the opinion that you cannot go to Walt Disney World with anyone younger than five because they're not going to appreciate it
1: you know i hear that a lot and and not to tangent us but i hear that a lot from from folks you know from parents and i have to say i disagree with it only because for one thing you you know this is with the caveat that realize it's going to be a lot of work with younger children you Mm -hmm. know especially with like infants and that sort of thing but it's not about them remembering it it's about you remembering it it's about the memories that you make you know, with that small child. And I'm also of the opinion, get them while they're young. You know, get them them in there while they're young. Get them hooked right away, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, yeah, so I'm an advocate for, you know, even taking the the wee tots, you know, of all ages. You're an advocate for getting as many
0: people down there as possible because (laughs) you're trying to increase the profit margin.
1: Well, you know, it's... You know, yes and no. I mean, right. he, my, it, it does directly affect me, of course. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I kind of have Walt's philosophy. You know, the the whole thing of, you know, quality will out and that sort of thing. You know, the, the great thing about Walt, you know, when it comes to profits is, you know, according to, you know, all reports, Walt didn't care the least about money. It, money was just a means to an end to him. So he wasn't about you know, profits and margins and and being rich and everything. He just wanted to be able to do what he could do. And that, I, I think that's another wonderful testament to him was that, you know, whether it was toward the end of his life when he had the money finally to do the things he wanted or whether it was at other times of his life where he was broker than broke, he's through the power of his personality, he could do the impossible you know he could move mountains and you know do the things that he did i think that's incredible you oh, know yeah. to, to to have that kind of uh vision that even when other people can't see that vision clearly and, and when other people might scoff at that vision to still have it hold it but more importantly realize it that that's mind-blowing stuff to me that I I think that's cool it just makes him that much more fascinating to me
0: oh yeah and that's that is one of the great disappointments of my life is that I never got to see Walt Disney I, I mean I've seen videos and and so on and so forth but he died before I was born
1: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm.
0: so I've I've never had the I've never had Walt Disney come into my house every Sunday night and present things like Disneyland or show me that Epcot video, which I will be linking to in the show notes, by the way, because that's the kind of thing. And don't get me wrong. I became an engineer because of Scotty on Star Trek. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I like the optimistic thing, but I'm pretty sure that if I had seen those Disneyland or, uh, any of, any of the, the shows that Walt hosted himself on a regular basis, I might have gone a different direction. I might have gone into more of the, the theme park thing. And I'm going to tangent us again. I actually had this conversation with uh, a new co-worker recently, and I explained to him the difference between an amusement park and a theme park. For example, Six Flags Great Adventure, which is about an hour from me, where I live, is an amusement park. Mm-hmm. Yes, it may have some type of co- cohesive narrative a little bit. I mean, because they have Batman and Joker and Superman, which are all roller coasters. And they may have a somewhat interesting queue line for those individual things. But a theme park is Walt Disney World. It is Disneyland. It is something where once you walk through that gate, you are in another world. Right. right? And it is completely immersive. And it's it's one of the the few things that Disney has over everybody else. I mean, Orlando. in Orlando you also have Universal Studios, which is another one that is right up there, but it ain't Disney. <laughs> you know? Um, right. I'm, I'm sorry to the Hunsworth family, but, <laughs> but it just, it ain't there. And the fact that Walt could create not only Disneyland, but Walt Disney World, even though he didn't See the fruition of that dream is just amazing. And he did it all because he said, I'm going to do this. Right. That's it. That's all. He just put his mind to it and did it. And he got everybody aligned. And that's why Epcot is what it is now and not the experimental prototype city of tomorrow like it was originally supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know you don't have inroads on that side of things but I got ideas to bring that original Epcot to life. And I know where it should go and everything. So, you know, if you have when when you see your boss at breakfast next, just mention that. <laughs> you know the guy with the ears. <laughs> but that and you had mentioned Gene Roddenberry and I as I had talked to you about before, I put Walt Disney and Gene Roddenberry to a very exclusive club. Right. I but I put Walt a little bit up because Gene was a futurist. He was, we will get there. Humanity will be like this someday. Walt was the same way, except he said, "I'm going to lead us there." Right. And uh, I I need that TARDIS so I can go back and stop him from, you know, getting addicted to cigarettes. Because if if he had another.
1: Five ten years,
0: what would our world be like today?
1: You know. Well, he had uh, not long before he passed away. He had told his son-in-law Ron Miller, you know, that he wished he he had another fifteen years. And he felt that if he had another fifteen years, that he could change the world. And I've often fantasized you know what what was he talking about what would the world look like if Walt had gotten his extra 15 years and i would love you know i wish i was a more imaginative person i wish i was a better writer because i think that would be the subject of a fascinating you know book or movie or something you know just call it something like the 15 oh you wow. know and, and do like an alternate... There's that one writer, I can't remember, is name. Turtle Dove, I think, that does all those alternate history novels. Mm-hmm. I would love to see like an alternate history novel of Walt getting his 15 years. Oh, but, wow. you know, it would have to be incredibly well-researched. Plus, it would it probably have to stretch the imagination a little bit because nobody really knows what he was talking about, you know? Right. It, I'm sure it wasn't just Epcot the city that there was other things brewing in his mind as well that maybe he never shared with anybody so i've always been curious though what was he talking about you know what changes and uh i think a lot of it would have to do with the just the structure of the world you know the structure of how we live our daily lives i i think things would be very different had he had the time but, yeah, unfortunately, he was a lifelong chain smoker and, uh, and it caught up to him in a, in a big way.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, just think of it this way. I mean, let's say his vision of Epcot, which was not just the city. It was also the industrial complex mm-hmm. attached to it. If that had taken off, if that had been a success, you would see that pattern of cities of uh, urban and suburban life spread across the country. And there, I, again, I may be naive, but if you had that, if you had that easy form of public transportation and city layout, you wouldn't have the inner city, you know? You wouldn't have a lot of these, uh, a lot of, what's the term? Um, Urban blight, rundown areas. Of course, that would, you know, kind of kill the superhero thing because they always seem to fight in abandoned warehouses. <laughs> <laughs> but you would have... And the way he was describing it in the video was he would be getting all these big corporations to come and do their R&D and everything in that industrial complex. Imagine GE and General Motors and all these, these big corporations which he had ties to from the World's Fair and everything. Right working together instead of profit 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 they're working to actually move humanity ahead right so that is just that is an amazing thought if if he could have gotten that done it would have it would have shifted everything it would I don't think we would have gotten a lot of the problems we had in the 70s with you know um like the 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 oil crisis and stuff, because you would have had Epcot's people movers, so you yeah people would have had cars, but they would not have needed cars, and it would just progress from there. Maybe we would have had Tesla Tesla Motors twenty thirty years ago, right? With electric cars, because instead of oh there's skyrocketing gas prices, it's up to a dollar a gallon. Oh no. I am being facetious. I'm sorry,
1: <laughs> but no, I, I think you make a good point because, you know, I, I think I think there's two great possibilities: is that Epcot, the city itself, would have worked during the time that Walt was still alive to to oversee it, to be the driving force behind it to be the pull for industry to want to play ball and use his city as their test bed and everything as opposed to, you know, you look at the way industry is now. um, Inventions are not, you know, these people are not open as as far as the things that they're working on and the new developments because of things like industrial espionage and all that sort of thing. But back during those days, you had things like World's Fairs where these industries would go and they'd kind of show off here's what we're working on here's the bright new ideas that we have for tomorrow's living that sort of thing so i think walt could have gotten those guys to play ball and to come and basically demonstrate in this living model so you know when you're talking about other cities would have followed i have to be honest my natural inclination was well i don't know about that because look at the things he did come up with that were fantastic ideas that never caught on anywhere else mm. but you make a good point that i don't know i still want to believe because i think if you had i think the reason for say you, you mentioned it yourself people movers the people mover was an incredible piece of technology it was an incredible invention that could have changed you know not just you know our cities it could have changed the world should have changed the world. Same thing with monorail transportation, yet for some reason never really caught on because it became just another piece of the landscape of Disneyland. It became, uh, for all intents and purposes, just another ride to people, which is a shame. But I think if you actually had this city that people could come to and visit and see that this works there... Then yeah maybe there was uh, maybe there was a bigger chance that okay now we actually this is no longer a fantasy here it is the blueprint for how to do America's cities bigger better uh, better for people you know better design so I don't know it's it's interesting to fantasize about I've always often wondered you know how would Walt deal with some of the the very real world problems that he would have had you know, that he would have been faced with because you know, this this gets into the realm of conspiracy theory a little bit, but you know, there's stories out there of people that over the years have come up with incredible inventions that could replace the automobile and someone steps in, whether it's private industry or government or whoever, and either hushes them up or buys them out and, and then quietly just shelves the project because there's too much money to be made in the existing system. They don't want to replace it. So you know there's those types of things too how would he have dealt with that when he comes up with this shining example and other people don't want to play ball because their palms are not going to be greased the same way or not as lucratively anymore so I think the whole thing is a, is an ex you know just a wonderful exercise in might have been, you know right yeah unfortunately
0: it is but it, it yeah it's 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 just so nice to think about because, you know, I, one of the things you said is, you know, if people could have come to this working city and seen a monorail, seen a people mover. And that, I think, was kind of a problem because Walt was doing this in his theme park. And when 90% of the population goes to a theme park, it's just to have fun. And I have no problem with that. I love going to theme parks to have fun, and amusement parks, and carnivals, and what what have you. But most people, that's all they see. They don't... I mean, how many times do you hear, if you're in Liberty Square, oh, I don't want to go to the Hall of Presidents, it's boring. Yeah. It's not... That's Not everything has to be a thrill ride. Learn some history.
1: I, you, I used to let that really... <laughs> I'll be honest. I used to really let that get under my skin, and it still does a little bit to mm-hmm. to a certain degree. You know, when when people rag on the Hall of Presidents or the American Adventure, you know, my own wife can't keep her eyes open through the American Adventure. But I think that for a lot of it, you know, generally speaking, a lot of times that's the younger set. You know, they're they're more inclined to think of a of a theme park almost as a fancy amusement park. So they're there to you know, ride the rides and, and experience the thrills and that sort of thing. But that's the the wonderful thing about the Disney parks is that I think if you keep coming back to experience them o- over and over again, as you age, you're going to discover other depths and other levels to it, you know, such as the story that's going on in each of the different areas and the different uh, themes, lands, the different attractions themselves. But also, hopefully... If you know if we're all doing our jobs right at Disney, you'll gain an interest in how did this come to be? What's what's the backstory on the story? And then that's when you start to get interested in the creation of the whole thing. And then that itself lends into learning about you know it all goes back to Walt and what was the, you know, what's the the genesis of all of this and both where was he coming from, what was the idea, but also where was he going with that idea. And so it's all very cyclical. It, it really just all depends on people getting that hook, whatever that hook is for them, and then staying interested long enough to realize that there's, there's bigger, more meaningful things going on here than just riding a roller coaster. Right. If, if that makes sense.
0: It does, it does. Uh, I... I guess I'm a little too cynical in even the, the people, you know, our age that go there. A good number of them, they just go there because their kids want to go there, and they're just putting up with it. Right. You know, and that's that's part of the problem, is they don't open their eyes. They don't see what's actually right in front of them. And it's, it's like when we were there, and we would ride the monorail into Magic Kingdom, and... I would be looking for all these different things. Most people are sitting there, they're, they're, they're just, you know, they're looking around, or they're staring at their phone, or they're trying to keep the kid on the seat. I'm there, I'm looking, and I'm pointing things out to my wife and daughter. I'm like, no, no, no look, there's a metal Mickey sitting over there on the top of that building. Right. <laughs> and most people don't, you know, I would point that out, and then everyone in the car will be, oh, really? Well, you could have seen it, too, if you are looking out the window. If you were actually looking at this stuff. Rather than at the sky or the squirrel over there, that that's something that drives me insane, and it's mainly my family. <laughs> <laughs> we we were at, I think it was the one day we decided to take the the boats over to the Magic Kingdom, which is not normal for us because my wife gets motion sickness. But we we get off and we're walking down the ramp and going over to the uh, the security check you know to you know have them go through the bags and yes you only have water and crackers and sunscreen and stuff and my wife (laughs) says oh look at the squirrel we're in (laughs) walt disney world and you're looking at a friggin squirrel are you kidding (laughs) Uh, the most magical place on earth and you're looking at a rodent that we could see at home thank you very much but my sister did the same thing when she was little, and we went, so, I don't know. <laughs> oh, look, there's a duck! Yeah, it's not Donald, I don't care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I do see that a lot, though. And But, again, I, I do think that that's one of the great things, is that hopefully, eventually, people will start to... Notice those those finer details the the storytelling element that that's going on all around them and that that's really where my fascination with the whole thing um, is at the moment is is going in and continually doing that deeper dive and realizing that the the men and women that have designed these things have really done their homework on this because there's a lot of times you'll catch design elements that may require some knowledge of a particular bit of history or a particular uh discipline in in the arts or in engineering or something like that I, I love stuff like that that's really cool because then it gives you it gives you layers right so it, you, know, you there's there's the the surface impression that you have of oh look at this this is really cool but then you start to notice these details and the thought that in the uh, the process that goes into the the creation of these things, and that that's that really fascinates to me.
0: Oh yeah, I mean if, if I lived down there, you wouldn't be able to keep me out of the, the parks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll I'll be home at nine o'clock tonight. I'm I'm gonna swing by uh, Magic Kingdom after work. Uh, yeah, I, it, that's one of the things that I love about, and I've only ever been to Walt Disney World. I've never been to Disneyland, which you now have one up on me. <laughs> but it's it's like there is no square inch that someone didn't put thought into right even just a wall that it all it's there to do is to get you from point a to point b without walking into something and the, just the little touches that they put in there it's it's like when you and I walked around hollywood studios and you were pointing the stuff at me on the backlot sets and it's like wow i never would have thought of the the things that people put just in a shop window, right? You know, that anyone that's just walking through there because because it's a shortcut, they will not they'll, they'll never notice it. But if you take the time and you go around and you look at this stuff, it there's a story to everything, right? And it's amazing. It it constantly amazes me about it, which is one of the reasons that we're going back in April. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the main the main thing about any of it, you know, ignore the this is popular right now, so we're going to slap it on everything stuff. It's it's just a and for me anyway. I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, walking down Main Street USA is just an uplifting experience. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just being there, and it could be the you know walking under Spaceship Earth or walking you know down. Towards Star Tours or any of that, it's just yeah. I get annoyed about the people that just, they're walking down. And it's just stop in front of you. <laughs> but even that, it goes away really quick because I am in Walt Disney World. But especially in the Magic Kingdom, especially in Tomorrowland and Adventureland and Frontierland. Fantasyland's nice, but it's it's not. I don't know why it does. It's not for me as much. I see Fantasyland's more for my daughter. Right. But the other ones, I mean, I I still remember the first time when I was a kid climbing the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse. <laughs> because it's a, I saw it in the film, which right. I don't even think people watch today, which is a shame because it's a brilliant movie.
1: It's funny because that was my very first bit of Disney homework I ever did. Um, After we came home from that first visit, uh, you know, as an adult, uh, my son had asked me about the Swiss family treehouse when we went up in it. And he was asking, he was like, basically, you know, tell me the story, daddy. And I knew I had seen the movie as a kid, but I could only remember the barest of details. And I think I confused a lot of the story with Tarzan, to be honest with you. So when when we got home, uh, I rented it to, to watch the movie and re-familiarize myself. And it's, it's one of those things that I encourage other people to do that uh, as much as possible, you know, to try to learn the sources of the different. You know, if they're fascinated with a particular facet of, say, an attraction or a themed land or something like that, try to find out, okay, what were the inspirations for this and, and seek that material out. I've been doing that, I mean... That's one of the reasons why Scott and I named our show what we named it, earning my ears, because I feel like I'm constantly doing that. I'm constantly seeking out more information on this place that I love so much, and that that's just a lot of fun, you know. If you, oh yeah. You know, just as a as a, you know, just off the top of my head example, you know, you see like for example the the Liberty Tree in Liberty Square. Yes. There's a story behind that, and. There's a movie that that's all based off of and everything. So finding those little things out and then going out and, and seeking out what were the inspirations for the Imagineers? Why did they put this particular design element in there? What's, what's the deeper story? I, I'm fascinated with that, and that's what I've been trying you know time permitting that's the sort of thing i've been trying to bring to to earning my years and it's the kind of thing that i wish i could do more and more often uh you know bigger and better is is really be able to take those kind of deep dives oh yeah that that's the kind
0: of thing i love because like uh, on turner classic movies they had johnny tremaine on one time and i had never seen it so it was great we were sitting there watching it and you know, they're singing the Liberty Tree song, mm-hmm. and it was, I think this was after we got back, but all I could think of was, wow, imagine having that song running in your head when you're walking in Liberty Square near the right. Liberty Tree, and oh man, that that would just be great. That's That's also one of my favorite areas of Walt Disney World is Liberty Square. Yep. Because it's, you know, it's the confluence of a couple different areas. It's not huge compared to other things. But it's got some of the best stuff in it, including, I know, Scott Rifen's favorite restaurant. He's going again, the lucky dog. Well, that's one of the places I made sure that we went when we were there. (laughs) Uh, I I am of the meticulous planning variety of people. So every day that we were in Walt Disney World, I had a lunch reservation for us. I knew what time we were eating and where we were eating. And that's one of the places. So, we would more or less build, okay. We want to spend this day at Magic Kingdom. Well, okay. Let's look. I had to go through, I don't know, how many restaurant menus to figure out where my daughter would actually eat something. <laughs> I can tell you this, there ain't many places in Epcot <laughs> that she would eat, you mean? That she would eat. She's Aww. she's she's picky. I had to make sure they had a kid's menu and I had it either chicken tenders, pizza, or something else. At this point, she was not eating hamburgers. Right. She still doesn't eat hot dogs. So I had to make... There's a very narrow amount of things that she does eat, so I had to make sure. Luckily, the Liberty Tree was one of the places that had sufficient uh, choices for her. She's a lot better now, luckily. <laughs> so, But that's one of the places that I had to go because it's and it's not for the food. It's for the ambiance. It's for what's on the walls. I am not of the Scott Rifen variety. I will not push people out of the way while they're eating to see something. <laughs> but I came close a few times. I remember walking around while we were waiting to be seated, just taking a look at everything. Because, you know, I I am one of those guys that, if you got stuff around for me to see, I'm not going to sit down and look at it. I'm going to walk up to it and look. Right. And... Just the whole area down there, it's. I, I know it's supposed to be colonial America, but it is just such a great place to be. Especially if you're. And I, I don't mean to sound xenophobic, but if you're an American, it's so. It, it has so much more resonance. I mean, I can't see someone from another country getting the same things that you and I do when we go there. Right. And it, it's, not a, it's not to put them down. It's just we have that connection. We are Americans. We know this story. We know the history here. We can get more out of it. It's like if, if I went... I know if I am in London, England, which I have been on a number of occasions, and I am very happy about that. I don't get the history to some of these places that someone that lives... In that country, would. I would. If I was there with Andy Leyland, he would get more out of the experience of certain areas than I would. I know that because he knows what's going on. He knows the history of these things. I don't. It's, it's just the way it is. And in some ways, Liberty Square to me is better than going to like Washington, D.C. Because while Washington has the monuments as the Smithsonian and everything, it's not. It doesn't have the the spirit that you have in Liberty Square, if, if you understand what I mean. The this is uh, I don't know how to put it into words, and I may I may be digging myself into a deeper hole here. But it's like Liberty Square was made not to be a hundred percent historical recreation. It was meant to have the spirit behind the move for independence the we can do this on our own we know we know how to do this better do you understand what i'm saying sort of yeah okay it it could just be the fact that i'm already on a high from being at the magic kingdom but <laughs> it it's just that you walk you walk there and you see how it is how it not how it was how people felt Right. You know, it's uh, this drive towards, we can make a better future for ourselves, thank you very much. And that's a lot of what, you know, goes back to, to Walt's feelings on things. You know, we can we can get there. From where we are now, we can get there. It's not uh, dream of a beautiful future, question mark, we've gotten there. It, he had a, a drive and, I think, a plan to get us to Tomorrowland. He wanted us to get to the stuff in Tomorrowland to put to make that, to force Tomorrowland to go the, to the next step because, hey, we've already achieved this. what What's next? You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I didn't discover until my 30s. I didn't discover that part of Walt Disney because for the longest time it was, oh yeah, those are those videos that we have sitting over there. Those are the... As much as I love the cartoons, what be they—the shorts, the feature animation, the specials, or anything—they're they're terrific. Don't get me wrong; they're groundbreaking in a lot of ways. One of my favorite films is still is Fantasia, mm-hmm. but it's nothing compared to the reality that was Walt Disney, and right. that, that pains me to say was Walt Disney. But I just wish that we could have. If not Walt, have someone or some group of people pick up that ball and run
1: with it. Yeah, yeah you and me both.
0: It, it's almost like we need to, you know You Rifkin and I need to get together and stage a, a, a takeover of the futurist portion of the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> <laughs> we could do it too. Yeah, you know, we we could we could do it. I, like I said, I've I've got ideas uh, for. Our, Specifically for Epcot, for I know where we could put it. I know what, you know, how we could make that vision a reality. And we'll see what happens, you know, see what comes up. But I, you know, we need that chance. We need someone to say, this isn't about getting back our $4 billion investment in Star Wars. This is about taking what we're earning in this section and shunting some of the money over here. To the Imagineers, to the people that will push us into a new realm, and not just replace the Maelstrom with a new ride.
1: Well, I think part of that comes, you know, there's one of my, my favorite quotes, Disney related, and you know, and on this whole subject of the future and Tomorrowland and progress and all that sort of thing, is in the original version of the Carousel of Progress. You know, our our host in that attraction is is Father. And Father says, you know, progress is not just moving ahead. It's dreaming and hoping and building a better way of life. You know, progress takes a lot of people wanting it and willing to work for it. And I think that's an important message that's been kind of lost. It's funny because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And I mean a whole lot lately. Basically, for the past year, my preoccupation has been with kind of looking back at tomorrow. You know, you were there last year when the bunch of us, you know, a whole bunch of us mm-hmm. from Two True Freaks, uh, you know, fellow podcasters and, and just, you know, friends and family all got together uh, in Long Island. And, you know, the, the reason for the get-together last year was to get together for an event called Eternal Con, which was taking place on, on Long Island. It was a uh, you know just a gathering of, of nerds going to a comic book convention, essentially. <laughs> but a, a, a night or two before we were about to fly out, realizing where it was that we were going to be going to, uh, I called up my buddy Paul Spataro, who lives on Long Island, and who I was going to be staying with while we were there. And I said to Paul, I said, you know, you got to forgive me, Paul. I said, I really don't know New York City area geography very well, um, but are you anywhere near Flushing Meadows? And he says, well, you know, from where I live, it's about an hour roughly, uh, so no, but it's only two exits from where I'm going to be picking you up at LaGuardia. So, you know, what's in Flushing Meadows? And I said, well, you take me there and I'll show you. Hmm. And we went, and that became the place that we all met, you know and as as you know the guys started to trickle into town we all just kind of met there now i knew a lot about the place before we ever got there so i i it had a very important uh attachment to me for a, a lot of different mostly sentimental reasons but i'd never been there and i was really looking forward to it <clears throat> then having actually been there it was it was weird because it was like puzzle pieces started to fall into place. And and that's kinda how I see this whole this whole Disney futuristic tomorrowland vibe is it's all little puzzle pieces that you kinda have to to trace it back and, and like watch things kind of fall into place and again it it, it tells an an overall story that's in this instance not complete yet because who knows where we're going but i've just become fascinated by that whole thing because there is a a connection there's a, a tapestry with all of these things between Walt, of course, you know, with Disneyland, which I got to go to uh, you know this year for the first time, I got to go back to Flushing Meadows again and explore it a little bit more than we did the first time. You know there's a connection there with Flushing Meadows and the World's Fair. There's a connection with with Walt Disney World. And it's all one thing that's all interconnected. So now having experienced the three of those and really gotten a chance to do a, a deeper dive into all three of them, I feel like I'm getting a better handle on the whole thing, but the the question for myself is a better handle on what? (laughs) Because you're talking about something that's 50 to 60 years old at this point. What is the thing? And a lot of it comes down to the film Tomorrowland. I, I really wish that movie had done better, but what I'm starting to see happen is that there is this... I'm imagining it's pretty small, but there is this small, semi-underground movement beginning to happen where the movie's starting to find its audience. It's starting to gain appreciation. And I'm predicting that, much like Tron in its day, that that's only going to continue to build over time. It may never build into some big, colossal thing, but if all it ever does is, is garner the sort of Uh, the sort of cult status that Tron did, I'm cool with that because it only takes, you know, a small amount of people to have a vision to change things. And that to me is ultimately the message I took away from that movie is that, you know, this idea, you know, the ideas of say Waltz or the 64 world's fair, or whatever, these ideas aren't dead they sometimes life kind of beats them into the background a little bit if you know what i mean yeah. you know we have our setbacks you know the, we had the 3940 world's fair wonderful wonderful exposition about the world of tomorrow and lofty dreams that should have been the world that our grandfathers inherited but then world war 2 broke out yeah. and changed the world forever 64, 65 World's Fair. Same thing. Lofty Visions. Much, it it was much, uh, in a lot of ways, it was uh, almost a a sequel to the 3940, having learned a few lessons and realizing, well, that one didn't quite come true, but we still have a chance. And then Vietnam happened. Mm -hmm. And again, changed at least our country in a lot of ways forever. And we lost a lot of that childlike wonder of the world and that childlike naivete about what the future could be and that's one of the things that i become the most annoyed about when i read I, I've, I've been just devouring stuff about the world's fair lately reading articles and books and everything else and a number of them They may still have a fondness for it, but ultimately their summation of the whole thing is, oh, weren't we childish? Weren't we naive? That could have never really happened. And I don't believe that. Right. I think that Walt Disney was childlike and naive, but in a wonderful way because he didn't believe in the impossible. People might tell him, "Walt, that that's not gonna work." You know, and when when you're when you talk to a child and you say, "I'm sorry, buddy," you know, you, you can't do that. That that's not a thing. A child, you know, that's actually one of the worst things you can do to a child because you're discouraging them. Because children are wonderful in the sense that they don't understand. Wait a minute, wh- what do you mean that I can't do that? Right. They don't. They don't have that that filter in themselves. To them, if they want to build a rocket pack, then okay, they're gonna they're gonna work on it and they're gonna figure it out. And Walt somehow was able to hold on to that for his entire life. This sense of don't tell me I can't do it. I have the smartest people and I have will. And if I want it bad enough, I can make it happen. And he did time and time and time again. His life is nothing but a lesson in Don't Tell Me No. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that. I love that about him. I I wish I could be like that. I wish more people could be like that. So, I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling. What I really mean is, don't tell me that the ideas of the 3940 World's Fair, the 6465 World's Fair, were just wonderfully naive, but they could never have been reality, because that's BS. I don't buy that for a minute. If we wanted it bad enough, that would be our world. And I'm starting to make friends with people. Uh, I have a couple wonderful, um, I mean, they're Facebook friends. They're not people I, I actually know in real life. But I have All a couple right. wonderful Facebook friends right now that are fellow cast members. Oh, okay. And that's, I mean, they're fellow dreamers. They're, they're constantly posting things about, uh, you know, that that more future futurist side of disney enthusiasm like like you and i have Mm -hmm. and i love it because it, it tells me we're not the only ones there are it's like when the pins are handed out at the end of the tomorrowland movie there there's other people out there having this vision gaining this vision learning i mean i'm kind of a new recruit myself you know what i mean yes so people are constantly being handed that pin if you know what I mean, in a figurative sense. And that's wonderful to see, because that's how you change the world, but it's also how we get back the future that we used to envision, the future that we we should have had, if you know what I mean. And I, I think that's great. So it's, it's not lost. And I remember Chris Honeywell saying something to me when we were there last year at Flushing Meadows, something to the effect of... Um, 'Cause I got you know, there were a number of times I got very emotional while we were there. And I got a little misty at one point, and I think he misinterpreted my my kinda of being overcome with emotion as that I was sad. And there is there is kind of that natural inclination at first to look at the ruins at Flushing Meadow and think this is, you know, how sad. Yeah. But I you know, I really don't see it that way. I, I really see it Really, the opposite way is that these are the breadcrumbs that people are finding and that can still take us to that place if people want it bad enough. Does that make sense? Yes, it does.
0: Yes, it does. It's uh, the dream isn't dead. It's
1: sleeping. Exactly.
0: And so exactly. Yeah, it's it's waiting for the people that are willing
1: to take up the challenge. Absolutely.
0: And, and I really think we need to get a group together to take up that challenge.
1: You know, just yesterday, I don't know if you saw it or not, just yesterday I posted um, a picture. So I was at uh, what used to be downtown Disney at Walt well, Disney World has become Disney Springs. That's the new name for it now. It's a, it's a re-theming of the uh, shopping and dining district, essentially. Right. And one of the things they have there, I think it's wonderful. Um, they have a new restaurant there called The Boathouse. And the boathouse, along with having all this wonderful fancy food, has um, aqua cars. And the aqua car was something from the 64 65 World's Fair. So I'm reading this article the other day. It was in one of the, the newest books that I just purchased uh, about the World's Fair. Um, I forget the exact name of it, but the author is Bill Cotter, C O T T E R. It was a really good book. And it was a picture Of an aqua car driving on a body of water that could have been taken, like, today at Disney Springs. Same kind of vehicle and everything. Oh, wow. Okay. But but the caption under it said, you know, it was talking about the aqua car and how cool it was and that it was a thing at the fair and all that. And then underneath it, it said, sadly, much like monorails, the aqua car, you know, is a thing of the past. And I just had to laugh (laughs) because we got the aqua car. We got monorails. So when I was at Disney Springs yesterday, I'm crossing a bridge from one section to another, and I see in the distance coming towards me an aqua car uh, with a whole family in it. And, you know, they were just having the time of their lives. So I stood there and waited until it got nice and close to me, and I took a couple pictures of it in, in a short video. And I posted one of the pictures to Facebook, and I just did the hashtag, The Fair Lives. Because that's what I'm talking about. Those little nuggets that you get like that, you know. Those people may never realize that that's a direct connection to that, but but it is, and I I I think that's great. It just gets me excited about stuff like that. Because again, maybe a kid in that car gets an interest in this thing, Mm. you know, starts to do the research, and then the next thing you know, again that pin's been handed over, and I and I love that.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. I just actually, as you were talking, went to Facebook and looked that picture up, and that is a beautiful <laughs> shot you took. Yeah, it's uh, that's one of the things that, like, when my daughter is playing, a lot of times she'll, because she's an only child, and she has a huge imagination, and she'll be over there and she'll be talking or singing or whatever with her ponies or whatever, and I'll, you know, I'll just ask, hey, what's going on? And she'll tell me this story. That she's made up, and it's wonderful. And it, the the funny thing is, she, as I said in that article, she plays with some of my old toys. Which right. So the other day, she's got the Super Powers Hall of Justice, my Michael Knight figure, and a bunch of my GI Joes. And the Hall of Justice is their house. Michael Knight's the dad because he's a bigger figure, and the GI Joes are his kids. <laughs> I'm not going to tell her, no, you can't do that. That's just hilarious. Right? I, I love it when she makes stuff up. This is the same kid that will have a My Little Pony in one hand and snake eyes in the other, and they're playing together. <laughs> and that's the, that's the kind of thing that we need. We need these kids to have their imagination, to see something like that, like that aqua car, like riding the monorail. And it's not just a mode of transportation, it's a a portal to the future. It is, wow, what if we had this at home? Right. You know, what if we had this wherever we went? What if we didn't have to take the turnpike to get to work? What if we had a monorail? What if we, you know, could cross the, the river in an aqua car? What, you know, it's what if, you know, what if drives all of this? And it's the inspiration from the World's Fair, from Walt Disney World, from Walt himself and some of these old videos that you see. That drives it, you know, hey, what if we did what he just said? What if we take that inspiration and go forward? And that's something that, sadly, a lot of people don't have anymore. Right. It gets beat out of them. And doing, I I understand, I I do not have the perfect life. I know that there are people with, with money troubles. I know that there's, you know, hunger and poverty and hate and everything in the world. But what if there wasn't right yeah you know, we, we can we can get there we can move everybody up the you know the old the old saying a rising tide lifts all boats right so if we get it better, everyone would be better off. so yeah that's that's why I I like encouraging her to, to ask these questions you know to you know, have me explain things to her because I I don't tell her anything that, isn't true as far as you know the world goes so like she'll she's gotten to the point now where she'll ask me a question let's let's, just you know why is the sky blue and i'll ask her back do you really want to know Uh, (laughs) because i will explain the refraction of sunlight through water vapor in the air and how that makes the sky blue right but then every now and again she'll answer back as no not right now (laughs) Because she knows I will go into this long spiel about stuff. But she at least asks. Right. And that's the main thing, is you have to you have to question. You have to have this view of the world, like you said, a childlike naivete about you. To say, well, not not only what if, but why not?
1: Why not, exactly. You, know,
0: you can't do that, why not? And most of the time people will say, well, I don't know. And that that's not a reason. That means I'll do it anyway and that's what Walt did. It, actually, he probably didn't ask why not. He just said, "Well, I'm doing it. <laughs> you can't do that. I don't care. I'm doing it." And we need we need more people like that. And, you know, maybe maybe we'll start a movement or something here. I don't know. I can hope, can I? Absolutely. Uh, well, I think we've uh I think we've gone around and around on this and before <laughs> Skype kills the connection again <laughs> or more to the point before your power goes out again. <laughs> how about we wrap it up here? What do you say? Sure. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on. I I love talking with you about this kind of thing. I mean, between... Absolutely. Between Star Trek, the motion picture, and Disney, I think that we have gotten so much passion out onto the the internet. I would say airwaves, but this is not broadcast. (laughs) But I hope that we have inspired someone out there to take up what we're taking up, The, the inspiration from Walt, from the World's Fair, from the theme parks... And let's let's all you know move forward. Let's get these things done. Let's make the future a reality. We'll get you your robot made to get your <laughs> your big cups out of the dishwasher. <laughs> but before we go, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you? And if they don't know yet, I'm shocked because it's you know, how <laughs> how did you find this show if you didn't know where Scott was? But why don't you right. tell them anyway?
1: Well, currently, uh, you can find me, of course, uh, everything that I do, have ever done, and everything is uh, all at 2TrueFreaks.com. Uh, currently, I am one of the co-hosts on Back to the Bins, which is one of our uh, fine shows there, all about old comic books. We uh, we pick uh, randomly selected back-issue comics, uh, read and discuss, and... Um, a lot of the other shows I'm working on at the moment are in some weird form of uh, hiatus, limbo, whenever I can get to them type of situations. <laughs> uh, but everything that I uh, that I do and participate in, you can find there at Two True Freaks. So uh, go check it out, give it a, give it a listen, and give us some feedback. Let us know what you think.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, just make sure that when you're you're finding this stuff out there, you do the hashtag the fair lips. Because that's what we're going for. Yes. Alright, thank you again, Scott, for being on, and we'll see you next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Hammer Podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send an email to gene at thehammerstrikes.com. If you like what you've heard, please visit the Patreon page, which is located at patreon.com slash and consider becoming a sponsor of the show. Please be sure to check out The Hammer Strikes on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and YouTube. The Hammer Podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.